Dr. Angela Powell-Smith earned her doctorate in counselor, education, and supervision from Argosy University. She is a former board member for the Licensed Professional Counselors Association. She's a national certified counselor, a certified gatekeeper instructor, clinically certified criminal justice specialist, certified professional counselor, supervisor, and master addiction counselor. For more than two decades, Dr. Powell Smith has served as a treatment provider and consultant in various criminal justice and substance abuse treatment settings throughout the state of Georgia. She facilitates aftercare substance abuse groups for the Department of Community Supervision through Spectrum Health Systems, as well as evidence-based social skills training groups for the DeKalb County Misdemeanor Mental Health Court. Volunteers with the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office Teen Interception Program and a chaplain for the Atlanta Dream Team. In January 2019, she published an article for the Licensed Professional Counselors Association of Georgia entitled, A Closer Look at Homicide Survivors, the Under-Acknowledged At-Risk Citizens. She is also a co-author of the book, Even So, Stories of Hope and Encouragement, which was published September 2019. She is also a homicide survivor. Let's welcome her. And welcome back, Grief Nation listeners. I am so honored to bring on our guest today, which is Dr. Angela Powell Smith. And our um, grief talk section is on a closer look at homicide survivors. Hello, Dr. Angela Smith Powell Smith. How are you? I am doing just fine. How are you? I'm great, and I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Um, I've it's been a journey of us trying to get on today, but we're here. <laughs> Praise God. Here. I mean, between my internet and what was going on with yours, you know, like you said earlier, the devil will not stop us on this day. Not uh, today. Yes, to get things done. So I'm going to go directly into um, asking your question, asking you some questions here on the show today. So okay. tell us a little bit about um, your journey being a homicide survivor. Well, my homicide survivor journey has um, taken on so many faces and it has so many uh, layers depending on what's going on. Um, I think one of the greatest challenges has been for me uh, erasing my husband's name as if he didn't exist. You know, I, you know, you, I go to the bank and his name is on the checkbook and it's like, well, he's not here anymore, so you might as well let it go. Mm. And so people can be very so and be insensitive. Yeah. And so that's kind of been the biggest thing. Or, um, you know, I still go to the property where my husband, that was our rental property where he was killed. And so that's still my property. So I have to go there. And, you know, even though I wasn't there when my husband was murdered, you know, I did learn about what happened to him through first 48. That's how I actually found out what happened to him. I had to give them permission to air it so that I could find out. And when I walk into the house, 
I have to do grounding techniques yeah. just because my mind start visualizing everything that I see on TV. So um, I think that the walk of a survivor is, is constantly being re-traumatized. Every time I hear about a murder on TV, it's just re-traumatization. Uh, so it's just learning to embrace that that is just part of my journey and um, try to anticipate when these things are going to happen so that I can stay grounded, you know, for myself, uh, for my sons and for my grandchildren who, you know, are still not used to seeing me without their grandfather. Yeah. And so I still see the tears swell up in their eyes and things like that. So that, that's been kind of the journey and um, just trying to be there for other homicide survivors because it was interesting before this happened to me I was actually a treatment provider for the Fulton County DA's office and I was working with homicide survivors and trying to help them get the paperwork together uh, for trying to get some compensation and some support during this time of their loss. And uh, I guess less than a year later, here I was in the same situation that they were in and remembering that there was, you know, was paperwork and and so now I just find myself just trying to get out information that I'm learning because to me, there was no help for me. Here I am a licensed professional counselor, I'm a doctor and I'm saying, okay, what about me? And it was a year later before I actually was able to convince them to start back with a grief and loss group that started exactly on the day that my husband was killed. Mm. And then, and now it, it just disintegrated and so my quest um, doing this homicide journey is just to learn as much as I can about us so that I can share that information with us because, you know, who else best to share it but us? And so the more I started looking at the research, I said, oh, okay, I understand that. I started really seeing the complexity of what was going on. And I was saying to myself, wonder why I'm not seeing homicide survivors coming through, the, through counseling. Mm -hmm. And I realized that they were actually coming through, but it was the questions that I began to ask, you know, have you ever had anybody in your family that was murdered? Mm -hmm. And then that was when I was getting the information. If you say, well, ask a person whether or not they lost someone, they'll say yes, mm -hmm. but they, that's all they would say. But if you say, have you ever had uh, someone in your family ever been murdered? Mm -hmm. And then that changed the whole complexion. So it's, it just yeah. changes faces every day. And I just stay connected to God and seeing my way through it and, 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 and look for the beautiful things in life and, 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 and come down here and look around and embrace all the things, you know, that was connected to my husband and the things that we worked toward mm -hmm. and just try to make it a good day. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you kind of share just briefly some of the details surrounding what happened? So our, our, um, my concept with also having this um, audience to speak to, I want people to learn how to share their story um, and not to a point that it's going to affect anyone else or trigger anything, mm -hmm. but just mm -hmm. some of the details of what happened that, um, that night or that day. Well, uh, it's interesting that um, I actually wrote this down in a book uh, called Even So. It's a lot of other Christian women. Somehow I ended up coming together. They selected me 
to write about it. But that story was interesting because um, the day before uh, I had gone to a wedding and I knew that my husband was supposed to meet me at the wedding. And so um, I went to my licensed professional counselor meeting and then went on to the wedding because it was a 12 noon wedding. And probably about an hour or so into it, I'm like, where's Randy? And even the people there was asking, where was my husband? I'm saying, maybe he got caught up, you know, doing something. No, Randy, he's probably helping somebody. He might be at the yoga studio, maybe he forgot. So I was just creating all these scenarios about what happened. And so when I got home, you know, I was so tired because it had been a long day. I had been seeing clients all through the week. And I said to myself, when Randy get home, I'm going to get him told, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I called myself putting an alarm on the house so that as soon as he walk in, I'm going to get him told about not showing up for the wedding and all of this. And what happened, I woke up the next day and woke up and the alarm was still on. Mm. And I started, you know, like, what in the world? And I'm looking around, I'm like, where's Randy? You know, and that's when I, I kind of knew in my spirit that something had happened because my husband comes home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, so at that point, I, you know, started experiencing myself, you know, just kind of, you know, like, oh, 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 you know, just, and I could just hear the Holy Spirit saying to me, Angela, breathe, calm down. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Randy's not here. And I started thinking about his job. And, you know, you know, when he, my husband uh, has a security, a, a security clearance with the State Department, he worked for the he worked for the passport agent and uh, in cybersecurity. That's what he did. And so I'm like, you know, you start thinking about, you know, what in the world is going on? And I just started mm -hmm. tripping and moving around and I heard the spirit say, what do you normally do on Sunday morning when you wake up? I said, I work out, I work out, I said, well, work out. And so I was just depending on the spirit to just get me to a point. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm doing exercise around this night here, what am I supposed to do? The spirit said, what do you normally do? I said, go to church. So I went to church just trying to pull myself together because I started, I didn't know what to do. I knew something bad had happened, but I knew that I needed to get myself together. And while I was sitting in church, I got a text from my niece that said, hey, auntie. And I said, hey. And she texts back, how you doing? I said, fine. And she says, where's Uncle Randy? And I, and I, that was kind of confirmation that something had happened. I said, what you mean? She said, he hasn't shown up for yoga. My husband teaches yoga every Sunday morning. And I knew then that that was what it was. And then as more I sat in church, it was like the minister was speaking to me. He mm -hmm. started talking about sometimes in life, it can become so intense, like it's pressing you down and choking you out. And I was thinking at that point that God was getting a message to me mm -hmm. because that was the confirmation on, on the phone. And at that point, when church was over, I ran home, started calling his number again and, and, and calling and I put up my little military shirt, you know, I'm like, I'm gonna go find my husband, you know. Yeah. Went to the VA hospital and at that point I was just on my own. I wouldn't let nobody know what was going on. I was just out there, you know, calling the hospitals, calling the jails, you know, you don't know yeah. what. You know? Right, yeah. And it was going on and going on for that day. And I just finally just said, you know, went to my uncle's house and I um, told my aunt, I said, I can't find Randy. 
And now my aunt has kind of been bedridden and not been able to walk, but when she heard me at the front door, something made her get up and walk. And I know it was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I said, Randy is missing. I can't find him. And by then my uncle came home and said, I said, I can't, Randy is missing. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, he said, when you go home, if you don't see his truck, you know, then do it from there. But I still wouldn't call. I was still trying to find him and calling my sons, but not allowing anybody to know what was going on. Just said, well, let me talk to your dad, you know, trying to stay calm and trying to pull this thing together, not to react and overreact. And, yeah. and by then it just came clear that um, something said, go to the property. Mm. And at that point I um, grabbed the keys to the property and I went there because the first time I passed by the property on the way to my uncle's house and I said, oh, I can tell Randy has been over here. The grass looks so good because he is very meticulous about cutting the grass. So I didn't see his truck. So I just kept going to my uncle's house. But when I um, decided that I need to go to the property, I called my cousin uh, who is a police officer for the Atlanta PD. And I called my brother-in-law, who I had been calling all morning. I said, I'm going to the property. And they said, well, we'll meet you over there. And when I got there, you know, my cousin was there. And um, I, and my keys wouldn't work. Now, I know I got the right keys. Yeah. But I believe that that was the Holy Spirit keeping me from finding him. And so... Uh-huh. We agreed that we needed the fire department to come and they came, but they wouldn't climb through the window. So my cousin, she climbed through the window and I was climbing through the window behind her. And she said, Angela, don't come in, don't come in. Mm. And I'm like, don't come in. So I ran from the back you know, of the house to the front. And when she came to the door, she was calling homicide. Mm. And everything just kind of blanked out when I don't know what happened. Yeah. All I know is when I came to myself, I was on the ground. I was dirty. So I don't know whether I got on the ground screaming and rolling and wailing. All I know is it was, I had never heard myself sound like that before. Mm -hmm. I bet you, I I believe that they could just hear me all over Georgia just screaming and wailing. And then once I screamed and wailed and kind of pulled myself together, I've been kind of pulling myself together ever since. (laughs) Got it. I I Uh, understand. Oh, I'm so sorry um, that you had to experience this, you and your entire family. But who is um, Sergeant Major Randy Lewis Smith? Let's talk about his his life and and who he really was, is. Yes, my husband... um, some people describe him as a man's man. I mean, he was, um, we were married 33 years. Wow. Uh, we dated uh, two years before we, we were married. And actually the house that he was killed in was actually the flower shop that I met him in. Wow. So that house has a very special uh, meaning uh, for me and my family because we spent a lot of time delivering flowers because he was actually the manager of a flower shop when I met him. Oh, and wow. uh, I was there just helping him out, volunteering. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, he, uh, a gentleman, uh, fun, loved to dance, loved music. And, you know, he always called me uh, the bride of Jesus because... <laughs> 
I was just a Christian and I was just holding on to everything. And when it came down to God, yeah, me and God, and that was my relationship with God. And wasn't nobody gonna get right. in between that. So I think he just kind of accepted the fact that that's who she is, the bride <laughs> of Jesus. And that's what he would call me. <laughs> and um, so we just had a, a, just a beautiful life of, of having fun. Um, uh, raising our sons. We have three sons and uh, four grandchildren. Actually, the um, fourth grandchild was born three days before Randy was killed, so Randy never got to see uh, mm-hmm. my grandchild. They had just left and had to turn around when she was pregnant when they was here, and then by the time they got back to Colorado, uh, we was calling them, telling them that we had found Randy dead, and so... Um, Wow. So that has that that has been, um, you know, that has been a, a, a. It's almost like he was such a happy person, and we just had so much fun. We I, I described us as macaroni and cheese. You just couldn't separate us. Every time you saw one, you saw the other one. We were just like iron sharpening iron. We was always pushing each other in the career. Wouldn't even be a doctor or a licensed professional counselor if it hadn't been for him. Like, well, Angela, you were in this field, and in order for you to be your best, you're gonna have to do this. this, this. And yeah. so I was doing my mastery over here on the counseling side. He was in the military, uh, E9, and uh, when he retired from the military, out of the blue, he decides to become a, a yoga instructor. <laughs> yoga instructor. So imagine that. So you can see that picture right there with him actually in the bowl. Yeah. That was the picture that ended up on the news. I couldn't believe it because it was the yoga community that became so upset that he didn't show up for yoga. Oh my God. So that was the picture that went out all over the news TV. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm sure Randy wouldn't like that picture. and so it's just we, you know, like all marriages, you have your ups and downs. But for the most part, we were friends, yeah. and uh, we loved being around each other. And we had just had we have this had this annual family day um, reunion. It has always been um, the Monday of Labor Day. Mon- Labor Day. We always mm-hmm. had it on the Sunday. And so this was his chance to always be the backyard DJ. He and I would cook all the food. And we would invite as many people that our house could hold. The whole neighborhood was invited. <laughs> so this is what we did. Yeah. So this was this is what happened a week before uh, he was killed. Everybody was actually at our house that Sunday before, yeah. and so that was just like it was just devastating because when I look back over this that year, it was like we were celebrating everything. Mm-hmm. What about that team you had? And I ended up bringing one of the teams that I assistant coached, and they was uh, very good and had won several championships. And it was our 20th reunion. And so we had them over here. We were just inviting people and having different things. And then that was the last event, the cookout, and boom. And you wake up one morning, and it's over. Yeah. You, you sit on the porch, and you make all these plans about what you want to do for your future. Mm-hmm. And then it's over, like yeah. over, over, like yeah. never again. It is the end. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, so that's who he is. Uh, my husband was a genius. Mm-hmm. My husband knew everything about everything. And if he did not know it, he <laughs> would Google it. He would find out. Uh, even in his job, he, he had mastered his job in cybersecurity. 
His um, networks were always getting the A+. I mean, this is what he enjoyed doing. He was very passionate about it. And um, so I, I could just go on and on about about Randy. He yeah. was He's just a joy. And I'm glad that I was a, actually able to, in the book even so, um, I was able to just kind of say how I met him, where I was when he came into my life. So I was a Christian before my husband walked into my life. And I'm so glad that I was, because yeah. if I wasn't, I, I, I just don't think I could be doing this. Yeah. I mean, because it's it's too much for the mind. It's just it's just too it's just too overwhelming. It's too much to take in mm-hmm. when somebody just kill your loved one and then uh, then they walk away. You know, all these people that's connected. Then you sit in court, and then they said not guilty. And then it's like, wow, you mean to tell me all of us looked at the same information? Y'all looked at first 48 like I did. You all heard the testimonies of these guys saying this guy told them that he killed my husband. And I'm like, and he he walks away. Wow. And it was actually the, the kid that was accused was the kid that was should have been living next door with his grandparents next door to the property. Wow. I was actually living in my house and we didn't know it. So my husband just walked in and boom, he don't know what hit him. He walked up the stairs and that was, his life was over. Oh, wow. And I, I really believe that had my husband, because my husband military, he's a marksman. Yeah. And I really believed had he not been bobbing to his music and, you know, doing that thing. He had just got through teaching yoga. He had just been to yoga. He had eaten a good meal. He was in a good space. He was going over there to secure the property and to cut the grass. And in his mind, nobody was in the house. Yeah. Oh. So I think I really believe that had he had that music turned down and he would have been able to hit somebody, come, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wonderful person. If anybody, if you ever... Um, I wish that you could have a copy of this um, his obituary because I tried to write about him so that people would know about him and even mm-hmm. a scholarship. I, I contribute to a scholarship through his um, high school, uh, David T. Howard High School, mm-hmm. and I give out a scholarship every year in memory of Randy, and I give them a copy of his obituary so they can see the pictures and see. Right. What- person he was and read about it they would know there was a real person right absolutely well that's such a great way to honor him um with the scholarship oh wow yeah, yeah. um he loved, he loved it, to read really <laughs> and that's why i give out a book scholarship his his favorite motto was good better best never re- let it rest till your good is better and your better is best all right now i like that i that like the scholarship that i kind of give out to help students uh, that need help with their books for college, and that's what I do. Oh, okay. That is awesome. Can you explain to us like some of the complexities along your journey and how you've moved through each of the stages of the grief process? Well, you know, when I when I think about the grief process, it's a little uh, different for me because um, I never grew up. I didn't grow up. Fear and death. I grew up in a, um, an environment where the older people in our church kind of saw death as a part of life, and so I never 
kind of like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, my senior year in high school, I mean, my senior year in college, uh, I thought when I went to college, I wanted to be a funeral director. <laughs> so for my internship at a funeral home, and that's when I realized I wanted to work with families. Mm -hmm. And so I had the opportunity. Um, so grief kind of takes on a different span for me uh, in terms of when I look at the stages. I look at denial, I look at anger and bargaining and depression. And I, I was just never there. I was, I mean, when I see things going on in the world and happening to everybody else, and when it happens to me, it's like, why would I think I would be special that something crazy wouldn't happen to me when I see it happening to everybody else? Mm -hmm. And so I would say in terms of grief, the stage, I, I've been in the stage of acceptance. I mean, I've been there, I'm a grief counselor. I've been looking at death a very long time. Uh, so that's, I always have embraced it as a part of life. I don't get intimidated by it, uh, but it, it does hurt. But yeah. you know, it is what it is. So that's how I see it. And can you share, I know you and I had spoke briefly um, before about your uh, apprenticeship with um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Well, that was interesting because at the funeral home, um, we had to, at my, at my college, Talladega College, I had to do a senior project and it was entitled Attitudes and Customs Surrounding Death and Dying. Mm -hmm. And this is when I looked at all different cultures around the world and started comparing their burial practices and their grief practices. And um, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler's Ross name just came up everywhere. I mean, she's a guru. Yeah. And back in the 70s, that's all you kind of heard about was her. And so um, I started calling her and um, telling her I had read her book and started asking her questions about this one thing or another. And I told her that I was going to do another internship at a, um, I can't even think, it, it, it was a cancer home. Mm -hmm. And uh, so people were on the last stages of, of death. And I actually did my internship there. Mm -hmm. And so she was kind of my mentor. She was someone that I would call and, and share with her what was going on and she would send me some more of her information and mm. read me and encourage her. So she was more of an encourager and a mentor as I was working on my paper and working at the cancer home in Atlanta and the funeral home. So. I mean, that's amazing to have worked with her and, and, and um, having that experience to be able to get that knowledge um, from someone that's a part of the grief world that has contributed so much to the grief world. Um, please um, give us your expertise on grief reactions of the expected versus um, unexpected loss of a loved one. Well, I think that, um, you know, I think that grief is different for everyone. As we all know that it's an individual process. And I think that when the death is sudden and traumatic, mm -hmm. it takes on a whole different face because there's no preparation time. All you do is you don't realize you're saying bye for the last time, all you know. And so that, you know, that, that in itself causes a type of reaction of, you know, trying to make sense out of life, what happened, you're trying to understand what happened. It begins to um, challenge your own value system, your belief system starts being challenged. And so I think that that 
is one of the things that the, the grief starts getting complicated mm -hmm. because it starts interfering with normal process. The normal process, yes, you cry and you go through that process and you mm -hmm. connect with people and they love and they support you and, and we do those kind of things. But when the grief get complicated, people the bed, they become depressed, they start reliving over and over what happened, what I could have done, maybe mm -hmm. if I should have done this, I could have done this. They start, you know, thinking that somehow they had, they could have controlled a situation right. that was inevitable. Right. So it just, to me, that's what kind of changes the grief reaction mm -hmm. uh, based on how the person died. Right. Um, when we look at the situation with homicide survivors, that one is so complicated because a person can be, um, for me, for example, my husband was killed. Somebody else, it could be the son of their daughter. And even though it was a murder, what we have in common, it's gonna be different based on the relationship and the role that they were playing. Even the role that the person was playing within the family, because you can say, example, you have a, a son that was a murdered and that son may have been the breadwinner for the home, mm -hmm. then that home can really be upset if that person um, was, you know, a, a, a chief contributor yeah. to yeah. what was going on in the family. And even it, even if the person was murdered and maybe they had some negative things going on in their life at the time it happened and people respond different to that. And um, for a homicide survivor, it's so intrusive. Yeah. You have all these people coming at you, asking you questions at first. And I guess the most disturbing thing, I guess, with that process for somebody to say, well, what did he do? I mean, yeah. what do you mean, what did he do? You mm -hmm. know, and it's almost like you have to do something to be murdered or you have to, you know, and it's like people just carrying on their lives and, you know, and someone kill you. So I think that it gets complicated and if it's a cold case where it hasn't been solved, mm -hmm. that makes it complicated. Yeah. Um, um, a family member that killed another family member, then that complicated. Yeah. And I think the, the homicide, the, the, how the person died in a relationship, it can just continues to unfold and unfold and unfold. Yeah. Ending on, you know, what happened? And a lot of times you still don't know what happened even with that. So I think that that's what makes it so complicated is because you're just blindsided mm -hmm. and, and you can't answer questions. You can't ask questions to the person and you just left empty uh, trying to make sense out of kind of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. Like you had um, touched on, um, you never got the opportunity to say goodbye. And with um, expected death, there are some pre-planning uh, of services or, or whatnot. So um, that kind of gives you some, uh, you know, difference of the variation of what the two are um, yeah. and not being able to say goodbye is very, very difficult. And I can right. imagine to in the time that we are in right now with this COVID-19 and um, having not the having the opportunity to say goodbye and your family member could be sitting outside in the car. That's one thing that I've learned. So many people are sitting outside in their cars because their loved ones is on the inside and I see you right. and they're they're right. not wanting to leave. They're just spending their life and time in, in the parking lot of the hospital mm -hmm. um, because, you know, 
you know, we've never had the, uh, we've never had a time like this. So, um, right. like I said, grief in itself is very individualized, right. and and you don't know how to um, handle it. And now that we're up under these new circumstances of of how to um, work through um, illness, sickness, and and what our world is looking like now, it, it has to be. Um, mm that I wanted to touch on that topic because okay. it's like it's and initially with our current pandemic it's expected uh, but we don't know if the person's going to make it because a lot of people have made it and then it's unexpected because we didn't know what this thing was right, you know right. so and and um I just wanted to definitely get your viewpoint and, and thank you so much for talking about how homicide uh, um, addresses the family and what that looks like in the different forms of, if mm -hmm. said, um, you know, another family member harming another family mm -hmm. member, just mm -hmm. so many different um, areas of death, um, especially uh, dealing with homicide that right. affects us so, you know, um, affects everybody differently. Um, right. But I just have to give kudos to all of your amazing work because um, even like you and I had shared, you had shared with me that a lot of your work that you were already was doing happened prior to um, the loss of your husband. So since your work speaks for itself, please share the consulting work um, that you've done for our community. Well, you know, uh, as a licensed professional counselor, you know, people call you and, you know, they, they seek counseling. And one of the things I've learned that they are come in to counseling for one thing that they think is going on mm -hmm. and then it ends up being a grief and loss issue, whether it's a, um, a person losing their job or mm -hmm. a little girl losing her doll or whatever. Grief is grief. Loss is loss. And so um, I think that most of my colleagues kind of see me as the, the <laughs> the grief guru so because they tend to um, refer their clients to me as it relates to grief and loss and um, one of the things that um, I've done and my sister kind of joined with me uh, my mother was a gospel singer and that's what she did you know even though she was never made it to the big scene she was she was a heck of a singer and um, trying to figure out how to honor her because she did so much for our church. You know, the first year we kind of had a reception, you know, celebrate my mother's one year in heaven. Mm -hmm. And so she died in 2003. And I know I was struggling with that death. I'm like, how am I going to go in this church again? My mom was playing the piano. Da, da, da. And one of the things that I found out I learned was she gave so much back in music. So what I've been doing for the community um, I've had a gospel, it's called gospel music therapy. Oh. And I've been doing this since about 2005 or six. Mm -hmm. And so once a year I have a gospel program, I bring in all of my friends who are musicians and singers and dancers. And I bring obituaries that I've collected down through the year or whatever, whether yeah. it's a funeral that I had to sing at or whatever. And um, so we would celebrate that actually, this is the weekend. If COVID-19 had not been, my sister and I would have been preparing. The program would have been tomorrow from three to five. And I would have had a church full of people here and they would have been bringing their pictures of their loved ones. We decorate the church with them. And I have a singer that may be singing about if you lost a mother, this person would represent the people that lost a mother or lost a brother. And so I've been doing that since 2006. 
The other thing that I've been doing, um, that was a podcast that I did in 2017 with Dr. Pam Thompson and Dr. Charles Massey that we did on grief and loss. And I was talking about, you know, my experience and some of the, the things that people would, would do. And they didn't mean any harm when mm-hmm. people said the wrong things like, well, you know, he's in a better place. Well, in my mind, better place is here with me. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, so I've been more just educating people and we would have a skit at my mom's program and we would make up and things that people would say to you doing when you lose someone so people could get a chance to see what it sounds like when somebody mm-hmm. tell you, you need to get over that. You still dealing with that, girl? You need to move on. Yeah. Like that. And so um, when I wrote the article um, last January, uh, I give it out. I give out CDs, that podcast I had it made into a CD. If I see anybody or hear about anybody struggling with uh, grief and loss, I say, give me their address and I would just mail it to them. Now I just pass out the article, uh, anything where there's a gathering with homicide survivors, even the movie, I think it was American Son. Uh, we had an opportunity that the homicide survivors were the first ones that were they allowed to come in and view it. I came in, viewed it, passed out this uh, research because what happens is, is that there's nobody educating us about us, homicide survivors. And so I've just kind of taken it upon myself to find out, was I going crazy? (laughs) And then I found out what was normal and what was not. And so now I can say, hey, that's normal. Here it is, here's the research. And I can help us better because of the fact that maybe it wasn't there. Maybe God set this thing up so it wouldn't be there for me so that I could find out myself. And so now I'm doing that, even with the book, you know, the book Even So, and I just pass out stuff. I just see my life as a God assignment. And this just happened to be another assignment. When you call me, I'm like, really? Are you serious? Yeah. And it's just another God assignment. And so I, 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 whoever called me and said they need support, I support. I even went to the, uh, I think it was a prosecuting attorney's conference last year and spoke and they wanted me to do my survival story. I don't think they knew I was a clinician. So wow. I got I started out with my PowerPoint about my family and then bam, I turned into the clinician, <laughs> educate them about homicide survivors uh, showing a prevalence for depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, and that we are under-acknowledged and we need, people need to be paying attention to us because I know people that are homicide survivors that turn to drugs and alcohol and things like that. And yeah. I just think that now I can use it as a platform to just get information out there. I just say, okay, okay you can have this, you need this, you can have this. Even the books that um, that that was published last year, if I see somebody really struggling because it's a book about stories of hope and encouragement, and I just say, here, take a book. Yeah, so uh, you you do a, a lot of other things in the community too um, that I, I've been reading about the substance abuse treatment um, for the state and, and other ev- evidence-based social skill training. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I am actually, you know, most of my career, um, besides being a counselor, I've been a counselor, June would be 20 years. Wow. And um, I worked in the prisons. 
Um, I've been trained um, in most of everything that's out there in terms of evidence-based. Mm -hmm. When I worked for the Department of Correction, I actually trained counselors to work with inmates. And so um, I, I just shared that, that I worked with the uh, misdemeanor, misdemeanor Mental Health Court in DeKalb County. And in that particular court, I trained people with social skills who have mental health issues mm -hmm. and may have gotten in trouble with the law because they could not communicate what was going on with them. And so every week I work with them. And then the other time I'm working with the um, community of supervision with parole and in Forsyth County with substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And so these are just, you know, contracts that I work with besides my uh, private practice. Mm -hmm. uh, most of it is interesting about the pandemic. Most of the people I saw, I saw in the house. I would, oh, no. When I would call them and they would say, I said, do you prefer to come to my office or would you like me to come see you? And they said, you come see me. I'm like, yeah, some people don't want to come to an office. Yeah. yeah. So 80% of the people I saw, I saw in the home because I've always been in the community. Mm -hmm. Even when I work with juveniles, I'm in the community. And so, um, so I, I'm also um, one of the chaplains for the Atlanta Dream. Mm, wow. And I've been doing that. I started uh, coming in, speaking with the players probably around two, when we first had a team here. So now I'm with them. And so this would have normally, we would have been getting ready for the Atlanta, uh, the, the WNBA. Yeah. So now we're on the sidelines. And so that's what I, that's how I spend my summers working with the players at Atlanta Dream and all the other players that come into Atlanta. So uh, God has just really uh, blessed me to have a variety. He's put me in different uh, environments. And I know that he put me in those environments uh, just to be able to, to utilize my skill set. So I do social skills training. I'm actually um, trained in suicide prevention. And, um, and that's one of the things I did for one of the court systems mm -hmm. with, with the victim advocate program. I yeah. told them, I'm like, you're working with us, but we are, we are at risk. And so I trained their whole staff in suicide prevention so that at least they would recognize a sign if a homicide survivor came through and they started saying certain things that I wanted them to be ready. So I just kind of look around and say, okay, let me help somebody. Wow. And it's all kind of like full circle too with everything you're doing because you're a ball player too. Yes, I, I was. Yeah. <laughs> I still it's feel still it in you. <laughs> it's still in you, I'm sure, the competitive. But you know, I believe, but also that that was critical um, in me getting, working through my grief and loss because uh, being, uh, and I was a superstar, being in a position where everybody's dependent upon you to score and to go to championships, yeah. I learned how to stay you know, grounded and focused and step up to the plate. And mm -hmm. so I think that you're right. Things did come full circle. I believe that, you know, as the Bible says, that from the beginning when God, before we were in our mother's womb, that God yeah. put everything in us that we need. Yeah. I think that I've been blessed enough to be in different um, situations and environments where 
things on the inside will get stirred up. Yeah. Even though it may look like I'm an extrovert, I'm really not. I'm an introvert, so mm -hmm. I, I'm comfortable in my own skin. But I will be in the home and I will hone whatever skills I have. Mm -hmm. And then I just look at God say, okay, do it. Then I just go out there and just do it. So uh, those are things I love teaching Bible study. Uh, I'm very excited about the Bible study that I teach for one of the local churches in Forsyth County. And it's be anxious for nothing. Uh -huh. And so a time that's going on right now, I had already told the church that I wanted to do it because I was sensing anxiety around me. This was six, four months before the pandemic came. Yeah, okay. In the Bible study, and it's perfect for where we are now, teaching people a particular calm technique to help them as Christians to be able to navigate anxiety because we all know that anxiety is just being overwhelmed with a whole lot of thoughts of what if. And if you yeah. can, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, that's, that's what's, um, you know, just that has people really, that's really can really complicate grief, mm -hmm. the what ifs and I wish I could have, should have, would have, could have, could have, and yeah. all these different things that happen. So your experience with the, um, your, I know you had mentioned, um, you also do m Monday morning Bible studies as well? Yes, that, that is the Monday morning Bible study. Okay. It's called Real Women Bible Study. I do it for Christ Community Church in Forsyth County. Okay. And uh, now we are Zooming. Okay. Awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's been really nice getting back with the ladies, but I think that we are all just amazed at the fact that God had put it on my heart right. to, go to do that Bible study. Okay. And I'm actually teaching during a, a time that I'm normally teach from September to December. And somehow I ended up, because the girl wanted to switch out, I ended up in January and all of this going on. Yeah. I just kind of blend Christianity and and and, and counseling. If I, you know, hear something that sounds like, hmm, I might need to add a little clinical spin on this, then yeah. I'll just do. But for the most part, it's uh, Max Licardo's, uh, Licato's, uh Be Anxious for Nothing. Oh, wow. Wow. So what is your uh, 2020 vision for the COVID-19 transition? Um, first, um, can you share the name of your organization and, and um, what does that look like for you, for your organization now that we're um, in this stay-at-home um, situation? Well, um, my private practice is uh, making your heart lighter. Yay! Yay! <laughs> like that name. And the other one is family and community support services. That is actually a 501c3 that I'm developing. And it seems like it's moving more toward trying to be that support for homicide survivors because mm -hmm. it just seems like because we are under acknowledged, the resources are just not out there for us. And so I need to kind of focus in that direction. But in terms of 2020 and the COVID-19, I think that... Um, Zoom is probably the best thing that's going around because all counselors, you're able to see people throughout the day. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to sit in traffic all day. Yeah. Um, so I think the main thing right now is trying to understand the fact that this uh, virus has put a different spin on grief and loss. And one of the things that you were saying about people sitting in the car but also the images mm -hmm. that go along with the fact when you think about 
that they move these trucks, these freezer trucks up in New York and they stacking bodies in there, Yeah, you know, and the funeral homes are running over. And to think about the thought that somebody's loved one would be in one of those coolers and they're waiting for them to come out and just mm -hmm. are not being able to ride in a family car or 10 people coming to a funeral right. at a time and being spaced out, not being able to have a repast. You know, I think that really, um, even though I try not to inundate myself with so much news because it can throw you off and yeah. throw off your aura and keep you from being grounded. But, you know, just trying to think about what is this going to look like when somebody called because we're still talking about some an attachment, you know, a, you know, <laughs> grief and loss to me seem like an attachment disorder. You're attached to somebody and now you're yeah. on and you, you want to be attached and you'll never be able to be attached again. Yeah. Looking for new attachments and and trying to I think trying to help people to look within and trying to see what resources that they have around them and trying to strengthen the bond of uh, the network of people behind them. For myself, I have a group of ladies. I have somebody I pray with every morning, mm -hmm. a different person. So I think that having helping people to connect and get those networks that are healthy. Mm -hmm. to help them through the process is going to be very helpful. And even maybe doing a group, you know, group on Zoom, you know, yeah. just doing whatever. I don't know what it's going to look like in terms of, but just paying attention to, because um, people are more so in shock now. Yeah. Uh, we don't know the experiences of a lot of people. And over time, we'll start hearing yeah. uh, what's going on with them. And I think we will have to adapt at that point, based on the stories that we're hear hearing about people being impacted. But I do believe the way things are going, that they are probably going to look similar to uh, homicide survivors in terms of the grief being complicated mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because of the way it is and how traumatic it is and having yeah. to not say goodbye and leave your loved one and never to see them again and can't touch them, can't say, you know, can't yeah. go to the hospital. So I think yeah. that that's going to complicate a lot of different things. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Mm -hmm. So can you give us some some techniques or, or just talk about some of the things that you do to um, um, self-care for yourself or some things that you can just address that um, kind of help you through your process and also to help you um, succeed in um, all the things that you're doing for the community? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the first thing for me is, you know, when my husband was killed, I was trying to build my practice and I had a lot of things going on. And in the process of having a lot of things going on, I realized that there was some missed opportunities to spend some time with him. And one of the things that I vowed uh, was that I would never be caught up in so many things again, mm -hmm. that I would really um, make sure, you know, life has a rhythm mm -hmm. and it's very, very important to have balance. Yes. And so when I wake up in the morning, you know, I'm not looking at my email. I'm not talking to my phone. I'm isolating time just for myself. And at this point to wake up and say, thank you, Jesus, I'm still alive based on everything else that's going on yeah. in the world. But you know, taking that time to just write in my journal, 
Um, I have two journals. Mm-hmm. One journal is a journal where I walk, write about what's going on in my life, you know, day to day, my life. But the other journal I started was a grief journal. Mm-hmm. And I only put grief and loss in there. Anything that's related to my husband or anything that I have to do that's related or anything related to our family or just grief and loss, I separate that because I don't want that bleeding in into that. So yeah. they write it in both of those journals. Um, so I, I, I take care of my morning. I mm-hmm. block out that time in the morning just for me. Uh, as I said earlier, I have a prayer partner that I pray with on eight o'clock on Monday, one, a different one on Tuesday, a different one on Wednesday. So I have my days covered mm-hmm. uh, with a different prayer partner that I can say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I'm doing today. Yeah. This is what I need prayer with. And so that's what 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 I do. And um, I love to sing. And I just come downstairs and I come do praise and worship. I got, I got a thousand soundtracks. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not the best singer in the world, but I do believe that God has incorporated my gift to sing into my ministry. So yeah. if God tell me to call somebody and sing them a song, I do. Mm. But it's more so it's taking control of my day and not letting my day. I choose how my day is going to start Absolutely. rather than let somebody else choose. And now that I have control of that, being in private practice, I can do that. So that's what I do. And I, I have healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. I don't, if somebody called me past a, a certain time and it's work related, I let it roll over. I don't, I don't have an S on my chest. I'm, I'm not out here trying to save the world. I'm here to be salt and light for whoever God bring across my path. Absolutely. Comfortable with the fact that sometimes you're going to be in the limelight. I don't have to happen to be a person that's in the limelight or you're going to be in the lamplight. Right. <laughs> so I'm all right with being in the lamplight as opposed to the limelight. Right. <laughs> so I just kind of embrace that and, and, and just give myself room um, to grieve how I want to grieve. I noticed someone said, well, what have you done with all your husband's clothes? I mean, they still where they were. Mm-hmm. You haven't got rid of, why should I? I mean, his clothes, that's not, not a primary, that's not a number one issue in my life right now to see how fast I can get rid of my husband's stuff. Yeah. Get rid of stuff too fast. Your kids might say, well, mom, where is this? Well, I gave it away. Yeah. I want them to be able to say, hey, hey, can I have this? Can I have that? If it take us 10 years yeah. to do whatever, then we'll take 10 years yeah. to do it. So I'm just being gentle with myself. I'm making sure my spirituality is where it needs to be. I have people in my life, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. And um, I just want to make sure that my grandchildren um, and my and my son's grief health, because I, I have three sons, two were in the military, in the military at the time mm-hmm. that this happened. I was really concerned about them Stay yeah. in control. And then I got grandchildren that's devastated. I couldn't didn't understand what's going on. And so my goal is to just try to educate them and so they don't grow up angry. Right. And so my focus right now is is just me being healthy, taking care of myself, taking in the information, seeing how God is going to use me, not overdoing myself and making sure that I'm able to pour into my, my family so that they can have a, a healthy grieving process based on what I'm learning. Right. So I got to keep educating myself. Right. 
so I can educate my grandkids so everybody can have a grief, you know, a normal grieving process, whatever normal might be for a right. homicide. Yeah, right, right. But so, I, yeah. I really appreciate you touching on, you know, like everybody's grief journey is, is decided upon what they feel that it should look like. Right. You know, uh, there there's no one, two, three. This is what it is, and yours is good. Mm-hmm. There's no two stories going to look alike. I don't right. even care if you're twins, um, yeah. triplets. You know, it's just it's what you decide of what that looks. Right. Like. And if it's holding on, like you said, to close for however long, that's your decision to be able to do that. Right. So, um, thank you for touching on that, just because people need to know that that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, that's it's, that. It's, yeah, it's, right. it's it's okay to say I'm not doing that right now. Right. I got time for that. Absolutely. So how can our community um, support you um, in any realm? Um, Sponsorship, donations, just tell us what we can do to help you. Well, I think that, um, number one, if there is a a homicide survivor that's sitting, that's listening to this uh, grief talk, I would just encourage you to talk about it. Um, seek out a counselor and, and and do your homework. See what that counselor's history mm-hmm. is um, so that it will be a good match because sometimes people really don't understand the complexities mm-hmm. that go along with grief and, and loss. Um, uh, in terms of me, I'm a counselor. I, I get referrals, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm not trying to bust out the seams. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> the world, you know. Um, I I would, as you know, at some point, I would like to be in a position because I do. I would like for you all to buy my book, even so. Yeah. See. Yeah. Okay. And I, the reason I say that is because I used the money from this book mm-hmm. to actually for the five hundred one c three. So if I need to go somewhere and speak to homicide survivors or go to the uh, victim uh, courts, you know, uh, the DA's office, mm-hmm. it gives me an opportunity, even though it's me putting back my money back in it. Yeah. It's an opportunity for me to say, hey, I'm doing something about it. And what I love about this is they're about, let me see, two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, 14. It's about 14 of us at least I only know about four of us uh-huh. <laughs> in this book, but it's stories of hope and encouragement. And there are so many different stories in there. If somebody get the even so, uh, Sharon Burcham, B-U-R-C-H-A-M. She was the one that compiled the 14 stories together. And she just walked up to me one day in church and said, hey, the Lord told me you're supposed to write a chapter. And I said, a chapter about what? <laughs> I've never seen this woman in my life. Uh-uh. And that's how God does me. He just, stuff would just come my way. And I know that everything that I'm doing at home and preparing is I'm preparing it because I know that there's going to be a divine assignment out there for me. Right. And I just try to step into it. So if you can purchase that book, mm-hmm. uh, that would be great. Um, if you would just speak up, you know, um, yeah. just speak up and don't keep it on the inside and and not, you know, think that people don't care because there are people out there that care. We are doing this 
podcast because we care. Yeah. And I just want you to know that sometimes you look at the news and you think the world is just crazy. It is, you know, <laughs> in the craziness and the chaos, there are people out there that's, that, that really believe in God and Jesus Christ and, and the Holy yeah. Spirit who are actually out here want to be salt and light. Yeah. And I just believe that, you know, that, you know, anything that you can do to help yourself is helping me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because that, that's one less emergency, a mental health emergency that we have to deal with when you speak on what's going on on the inside. And I, I, I you know what I really love? I really love using pictures to help people to really understand what's going on on the inside. Mm-hmm. Because a picture is worth a thousand words. And so... I just thank God for the opportunity that he allows me to be able to look around and see things and I can put a a clinical spin on it to really help people to understand. So I just think that that's my calling. I think that uh, being a doctor and being a licensed professional counselor is just my Christian disguise for God to allow me to get in and out of places that he needs me to get in and out of. (laughs) I think it's pretty interesting of something that... um, my uh, counselor uh, from me going through grief counseling when I first lost my son, um, she's reached out to me uh, sometime. And from the work that I've done with the training with becoming a grief coach and um, doing other bereavement um, type trainings and now being certified and um, telling and sharing my story through the Evertown Survivor Network, she reached mm-hmm. out to me um, just the other day and I'm like, oh, doctor, how are you doing? And we had this long conversation and she was telling me how she was transitioning and with her business now, of course, you know, being at home on Zoom most of the majority of the time and, you know, she's near um, retirement and she was just talking mm-hmm. about um, one of the things that she thought was going to be able to support her and that's doing, um, having her clients do, uh, she would refer them to do um peer on peer support of an individual mm-hmm. that um, could have experienced a similar loss. So right. she was like, are you, would you be willing to um, us partner on that? If I do come across, cause I lost my son um, to gun suicide. And if I have oh, clients wow. in that, um, you know, that has the same loss, would you be willing to, you know, support them in that? And we kind of, you know, work together on it. And I just thought that was just, <laughs> I, that just took me by surprise. Cause first I'm like, you're calling on me. And then, and, I'm, you know, me not even thinking where I am and, you know, I just know where I was at the time of, you know, speaking right, of right. me spending time with her and, and going through that whole process. And then for her to reach back out at me, I mean, going back and her saying, you are more than capable of doing this. And I know that it'll be very, very supportive and her bringing that into her, um, her counseling um, as a resource. I think I thought that that was just so amazing for her to 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 even think about to even do that because peer on peer is the best at times because some that person can really um, has experienced you know the you have the similarities of what happened and just being able to um, have me to be a listening ear um, and then us both kind of share you know the you know the loss process in the morning and the grieving piece um, to be able to say hey you know somebody has um, gone through this similar thing it makes you feel a little better you know yeah, that you're not you the know- only one you know but that supports the research yeah research supports that and so that that is a good thing you know um it's just amazing when um when i'm talking to someone and 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 it it comes to the conversation of homicide 
And I, as soon as I say, well, my husband was murdered, that changed the whole complexion oh, yeah. of the conversation. Or you know, even if I'm counseling someone, I've been counseling people and they claim they love each other and they're in that odds with each other. And I said, well, what would happen if that person died today? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it changes the complexion, you know, and I said, well, yeah. that's what happened to me. So I think that there are times when, you know, when God would allow me to use my story to move yeah. somebody to a certain place. Yeah. So I think don't, don't be surprised. I think that everything that you're doing now, even with this grief talk and um, the counselor coming back talking to you, this was the trajectory that God put you on anyway. Wow. So it's just the Holy Spirit just moving and opening doors because God is is allowing you to use your platform as a as as a ship. Like, do you remember boats? How Jesus would be out? He used a boat for a pulpit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's using this for a grief talk pulpit. <laughs> To be able to, we don't care how we help God's people, long as That's we right. help. We don't care who we help. We just want to help somebody because <laughs> God put some stuff on the inside of us that we got to get out. That's so true. So we can pour some more stuff inside of us. Yes, Amen. I truly, I really, truly appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much. So, how can um, our our Grief Nation listeners um, listen or hear or see what you're doing or tell us your platform, your your social network platform? Well, my social network platform is very simple. Okay. My uh, my website is www.makingyourheartlighter.com. Okay. And I'm just a plain old counselor. Okay. You know, I just oh, I just show up. I just show up when I'm invited. <laughs> you invite me somewhere if if you know um, when my team when we when my college team we go down to Savannah every year. Uh-huh. and uh, support one of my teammates. If somebody said, come speak, I speak. Yeah. You want me to come speak? I just come speak. I mean, I'm not I'm not doing anything in the extra because I'm not trying to bring any more stress on myself. I but know. if you need me, you call me, and I can work my schedule out. I will come to see you because I know that that will be a part of the another divine appointment. And I just oh. embrace that. I just wake up and say, okay, Lord, you know, just whatever you want me to do today. You want me to chill, I chill. If you want me to read, I read. Yeah. And I just, I just do, I do life very, I just enjoy the smell the roses and I don't let other people's emergency become an emergency for me. But mm-hmm. one of the things I do believe with my, with making your heart light in my counseling, I believe that there are times in a person's life when they need somebody to walk on us alongside of them. Yeah, and that's what I pride myself on is that ability to walk alongside of somebody, not tell them what to do. You need to be doing ABC, mm-hmm. but to but to have an ear. I have a good ear that got a good ear and a good memory, and I just believe that those gifts of empathy yeah. and being able to listen can take somebody much further than trying to tell somebody what to do. All right, amen, amen. And leave us with your favorite memory of Sergeant Major Randy Lewis Smith. My favorite memory of my husband, it's probably crazy, but at the flower shop on Valentine's Day, most of my Valentine's Day was spent with him delivering flowers to everybody <laughs> else. And then he forget flowers for me because I'm in the, in the van with him. So the first, probably the first 20 years of my marriage was... You know, once he started doing it part time was 
being out all Valentine's Day, uh, yes. delivering flowers all day and all evening with him and just dancing. He loved to dance. And so we always danced at home and um, and sing to each other. He sing to me and I sing to him. And so that's why I like being downstairs because and being down here singing, because it's, this is where we did a lot of singing and dancing with nobody here. That's just what we did. And yeah. so. Oh, that is so beautiful. Oh, that's so beautiful. So before I let you go, um, what has your attention as a leader in your community that you would like to see change or bring further awareness to? I think that um, what I would like further, I, I just, I, I think it hasn't changed in terms of homicide survivors. I'm just, I'm just gonna stand on that. Yes. Because we are under acknowledged and we are at risk. And I really think that people really need to pay attention to the fact, because even, even sitting, even when I wrote the article, my great nephew had been murdered. And here I was trying to do an article. And I've heard of two homicides, one in Pittsburgh and one in Alabama where somebody lost their only child. So even in the midst of all of this going on, you know, homicide is still going on. And I just don't want us to get left behind. I just don't, you know, once these cases are over, you know, people are still suffering. And I would just like you all to remember us. Don't, don't lose us in the process and think just because court is over and the case is over, you, when you say next, it's just, a, it starts a new beginning for us all over again, depending on how, you know, the, how, it, the, how it was resolved. So I just don't want them to forget about homicide survivors. And I would just like, you know, if you don't understand a whole lot about homicide survivors, hey, give me a call. I will come help you understand the complexity of what's going on with our grief. And so that's what I would say, because families are suffering kids are growing up and they're not understanding and somebody has got to blow the trumpet and say hey 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 let's pay attention to this well thank you so much dr um smith uh, i really appreciate you coming on and and dr angela i'm sorry i i called you either your last name or first name but i i definitely want to acknowledge how you, you want to be introduced <laughs> dr angela um i thank you and i truly appreciate you coming on to the show and and giving us um, your expertise and, and what all of this looks like for you and what it has looked like for you and your family and um, how you're making such uh, how much how, how you're giving back so much to our communities I really truly appreciate your time thank you once again for coming on it's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk thank you for having me well there you have it Grief Nation listeners and thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment of it's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk Today, we give thanks filled with love and gratitude for our special guest, Dr. Angela Powell-Smith, for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Knight, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually.